For this first Sunday of Christmastide, we turn to Luke's Gospel for one of only a couple uh, hints that we get of the childhood of Jesus. The scripture moves quickly in the narrative from the birth of Jesus to the ministry of Jesus. We only get a couple glimpses of Jesus and his childhood. This one as Jesus as a baby, Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. The full text uh, says that Mary and Joseph came to the temple and there they met Simeon and Anna, those two old prophets who had been waiting in Jerusalem for the consolation of Israel. And Simeon says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Hard words for a mother and a father. Tough words for a church. Jesus was to come in ways that would not only bring peace, but conflict, some inner conflict following the way of Jesus. Never an easy thing. And Simeon foretold that. But I don't want to deal with that part of our text this morning, but just these first two verses from Luke's second chapter of Luke's Gospel. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. My sermon is entitled, How Jesus Became Jesus on Going to Church for All the Right Reasons. I grew up going to church for all the right reasons. Let me tell you a few of them. I grew up going to church because God was there. Now, of course, God is everywhere. On the golf course, some people like to say at the Panthers game, by your sofa this morning. But there was something special about that room. When I was a child, I was not allowed to run in the sanctuary. We didn't speak loudly or play games in the sanctuary. We didn't joke around in this room. And we dressed up to go to church when I was a child. All of that, not because God is an old curmudgeon who doesn't approve of fun and games, or the old church prude who's a stickler for Sunday go to meet and close. It was just the way we chose to dedicate a room, to designate that place as a special place. It was the way we made it holy. And making things holy is always about human decisions and choice. We make places holy. God does not. God is everywhere. So it's just our choice to decide that a certain place, whether a room or a mountaintop, is going to be dedicated as a sacred space. But that works, you know. For those of you who could attend Christmas Eve service in person, just walking into this room, vaulted cathedral ceiling, dim lighting, candles everywhere, seasonal decor, advent wreath and candles, 
banners with Christian symbols. The room set the tone. Now, God was not here any more than in your den at home, but you do feel something different in this space. So I went to church as a child because God was there. It was like you could feel God there going to church Going to worship in that place made God holy. More than just some holy relic or some good luck totem or a curse word, church, the actual church building gave a holiness to God that may not be possible without it. Because human beings encounter the sacred in this life, we earthly creatures need to create places and moments that allow for the holy. And my parents took me to church because God was there. We went to church because there was a rhythm about going to church once a week. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it Our creation narrative says, because on the seventh day, God rested from all the work God had done in creation. Sunday was a different day. Now, Sunday is the first day of the week. Christians began worshiping on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus. But hallowing a day, whether the seventh day, the Sabbath, or the first day, Sunday, is important. Back in the dark ages of my childhood, you know, back in the 1970s, most restaurants shut down on Sundays. Nearly all businesses were closed on Sundays. There were no youth sporting events scheduled for Sundays. The NFL did offer football games in season, but that was about the only show in town. Life shut down a bit on Sundays. Now, I've told you this story before, but I think it bears repeating here. About 25 years ago, the Carolina Panthers became a new NFL franchise. And since the team did not yet have a stadium here in Charlotte, they played their first season in Death Valley, Clemson, South Carolina. The schedule was arranged carefully so that there was never a Saturday-Clemson game with a Carolina Panthers game the next day on Sunday. And this meant that there was an overflow crowd in that little South Carolina town every single weekend from August to December. In preparation for that busy fall, and with dollar signs in their eyes, some local restaurant and bar owners proposed to the city council that the so-called blue laws be relaxed a bit to allow alcohol sales beyond midnight on Saturday and into Sunday for Panthers games. And I was in the crowd as the city's leaders deliberated the proposal, and I will never forget the words of the chief of police. The chief, who I learned after we moved to Charlotte, was a first cousin to our own Mary Edens in this church. The chief of police stood before the city council and asked them to deny the proposal. And he said... Saturday nights are busy nights after Clemson football games when excited fans become rowdy brawlers after a few too many beers. We don't need another night of this, he said. His appeal was not made on religious grounds whatsoever, but he said that after six busy nights, 
college kids and the drinking that sometimes accompanies them during the week, and especially after Saturday football games, our officers need a day of rest. The measure was defeated. Sabbath. If you don't want to argue it for religious reasons, argue it on a sociological or psychological basis. Plead for it for the emotional health of individuals or the collective health of a culture. But rest is a good thing for the human body and soul individually, collectively. Going to church, Sabbath. A break from the ordinary busy routine lets all our systems reset every seven days. Sabbath rest. Yes, I grew up going to church on Sundays. And we went to church because we learned codes of conduct there. Now, I've also told you this story. When Amy and I were in Scotland for a wedding a couple years ago, we walked 61 miles, the way of St. Margaret from Edinburgh to St. Andrews. The first 12 miles of that journey, we walked with English friends with whom we shared 72 miles along the Spanish El Camino de Santiago a decade earlier. Tony and Kate, like most Brits these days, have given up their church ways, but I knew them well enough as friends that I could ask them What is missing from British life because the church has declined so much? Is anything missing? And I braced myself for Tony to say, not really. But instead, without hesitation, Tony, an educated and proper English barrister, said, yes, codes are missing. We have no codes anymore. Children don't know how to act in public. They've lost any etiquette and common courtesy. They don't know what's appropriate to wear. Their language is vulgar and coarse. They have no sense of respect for adults. We've lost all cultural codes for how to live together as a society because people don't go to church anymore. Now that may sound like the proverbial complaint of an older generation for the younger generation, I don't know that I would hang all of that on the decline of weekly church attendance. And certainly no one said that we went to Sunday school in order to learn etiquette. But all of that stuff that my friend, a concerned aging Englishman, sees rapidly going away in his country, all of that stuff I learned in church. Courtesy and honor, respect and decency, how to talk in public, how to listen in public, how to sit still and how to behave, how to treat peers and adults, especially the elderly, codes of conduct that set the stage for codes of personal ethics and cultural morality, I learned in church. Our two sons had the same fourth grade teacher who happened to be the wife of a Baptist minister. In conversation during one of those years, she told us that she can pick out the church kids in her class every single year. Without a doubt, she knows which kids go to church. The church kids are more comfortable relating to their peers and especially to adults. 
They have had opportunities, she said, singing in the church choir, sitting in the sanctuary, participating on Wednesday nights, fellowship suppers, just all of the life of the church. Kids have opportunities to relate to adults, to find themselves in public spaces. She knows the church kids. Wow. We went to church when I was a kid for all the right reasons. Now today's text tells the story of a mother and father going to church. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to, the, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now in the vernacular of first century Hebrew, if they sounded like we sound, they might have said they went to the temple because the Bible says so. The Bible did say so. It still does say so. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Direct quotation from the Old Testament. As observant Jews, they took their young son to the temple. We call it parent-child dedication. They went to Jerusalem for the same reason. Because making promises in public, ritual and religious observance in the company of a community of faith helps us to live up to those commitments. Because they were faithful, Mary and Joseph, also being peasants, brought a sacrifice, that which was prescribed of the faithful, for the faithful who were of modest means, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Mary and Joseph went to church. They were faithful. They took Jesus to church. Maybe that's how Jesus became Jesus. Now, as it's commonly told, Jesus was Jesus because his life was pretty much predetermined to be Jesus. It's how we put together the theology of Trinity and virginity, uh, virgin birth, Trinity and divinity, virgin birth and atonement, and then we read it back onto a literal historical life. Jesus created the stars and the planets along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and then bided his time with the Holy Trinity up in heaven for a few million years until it came time for him to sort of fall through Mary's womb into the life that had been determined for him to live, the death he had to die. Now, that's kind of how many Christians understand it, right? Jesus was Jesus because the Bible says so. Because he's the second person of the Holy Trinity. Because this is who he is. Because, excuse me, because this is who he is, who he was, who he has always been from the foundation of the world, right? But maybe the incarnation, that centerpiece of Christian theology, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was in Christ reconciling the world. Maybe that doctrine called incarnation is even more bold than the way many Christians think of it. Maybe Jesus 
was an ordinary child born to an ordinary woman the same way every other human child comes into this world. Labor and delivery, pain and promise. And maybe his parents, who happened to be observant Jews, took him to church because that's what religious people do. And maybe while Jesus was there, listening to the stories of Scripture, being influenced by his Sunday school teachers, Sabbath school teachers, to his rabbi, being influenced by all the trappings of church life, maybe it was there that Jesus heard a voice, felt a calling, and maybe Jesus dedicated himself to that calling so deeply that when it was all over, when he had died, when a resurrection had come to a ragtag band of disciples, and when history coincided and cooperated and the Roman Emperor Constantine's conversion gave momentum to a movement that is now a worldwide religious phenomenon, maybe looking back, it looked like the way it had to be, like the way it was meant to be from the beginning, from the very beginning. Maybe even for Jesus, it all started because his parents took him to church. Now, maybe we have organized religion, the church, to thank for Jesus. In his setting, that meant temple and synagogue, but an organized, specific locale for regular religious participation. Maybe we have a set of dedicated parents committed to a religious life guided by scriptural principles to thank for Jesus. Now remember that in Jesus' day, the law of Moses, mentioned in today's text, the law of Moses was a scripture that was already 600 years old. You know, old enough to be scoffed at by some, derided by skeptics as out of date and antiquated, some superstitious gobbledygook from a bygone past. It was already 600 years old. That could be. Maybe it's old and outdated. But maybe, just maybe, truth really is transcendent, beyond time. Maybe words that were already hundreds of years old by Jesus' parents' day, which make them truly ancient for us, maybe they still make sense, still convey truth. Maybe even ancient words can guide young parents, even today, to make good decisions about how to raise their children. In this season of the Christian year, when so much emphasis is placed on Jesus, the reason for the season and all of that, maybe there's reason to give thanks for more than just Jesus. Maybe Jesus is who he is because of who he was. And maybe who he was, like the rest of us, 
was a product of his particular environment, his setting, his education, his experiences, his opportunities, which in his case began with parents who started taking him to church as a baby. Maybe Jesus became Jesus because his parents went to church. No matter your doubts, your intellectual questions about God, your awareness of the abuses of religion across history, your cynicism for dogma, your disdain for self-righteousness, no matter any of that, yes, there are a lot of reasons not to go to church, but the countless acts of kindness the immeasurable, literally immeasurable, small compassions of faithful people, people who live out faith in quiet ways, Muslims and Jews, Unitarians and Baha'is, Buddhists and Hindus and Christians who nudge the world forward, bending the moral arc of the universe toward justice, the faith-filled acts of faithful people who live their faith because they go to church together and learn as a community of faith together, the lived faith of people who learn faith by going to church outweighs all the reasons not to be here. Maybe Jesus was who he was, who he is, because his parents took him to church. And that's a good enough reason for me to show up Sunday after Sunday. May it be so. Amen.